time for our kids to leave us for Kids Church with their leaders. Thank you, children and leaders. The ministry of prayer, both this morning and next week, we'll be looking at prayer. It's from Ephesians chapter 6, and we're just looking at one verse this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And in our series in Ephesians, this is part 28. So for the past few weeks we have been looking, taking a closer look at the different pieces that make up the armour of God, the armour that God has given us. These were the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All of these, you can't choose which one you want. You can't sort of say, well, I'm going to wear this one today and that one tomorrow because it sort of suits my activity today or I'm not going to wear any of them. These are all together. They're indispensable in the spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. But it is not enough. Even that is not enough to, to, to just put on the armour of God. We must also pray. At the same time, it is not just enough to, to pray. We must also put on the armour of God. Command to. This is the reason for which the Apostle immediately follows up the command to put on the armour of God with the need for prayer. The two work together in unison. You cannot separate them. For prayer is the power, the energy that enables a Christian soldier to wear the armour. The armour is pretty heavy. If you're going to be wielding the sword all day, you're not going to, you can't do it on your own. You need God's strength. So this is what we read, and I'm going to read from the ESV version. Praying it all in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. If you walk into any Christian bookshop, you will notice that there are so many books on prayer. And this is because it is of, of such deep interest for believers. This, it's a crucial part of the Christian faith. Now, it isn't just Christians who pray, obviously. Muslims pray and they, they, they're very set. They're supposed to be praying five times a, a day. Hindus and, and everybody who has some type of faith to whatever God they, they believe in, they pray. So Christ, the, the Christian prayer is not exclusively just a Christian activity. For, well, people pray. Even atheists pray, I think, when they've got nothing else, when they've given up all hope. You know, it's the Hollywood prayer. Oh God, if you're up there, you know, 
That's the Hollywood prayer, I call it. You sort of see it sometimes in the movies. But the Bible does talk a lot about prayer because it is something really, 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 really important for us. Having said that, why is it that so many of us Christians are disillusioned with the subject of prayer, even though it's a a vital part of our faith? Have you ever wondered why are my prayers not answered? I pray for good things, for my family, for my church, and all I get is silence from heaven. I feel as if my prayer life is a failure. Maybe you're not going to verbalise that, but maybe that's how many of us feel at times, right? An experienced and mature Christian once said this, and I quote, he says, I have seen many striking answers to prayer and more than one that I thought miraculous. But they usually come at the beginning before conversion or soon after it. As the Christian life proceeds, they tend to be rarer. The refusals, too, are not only more frequent, they become more unmistakable, more emphatic. End of quote. At at first glance, this statement doesn't seem right. Shouldn't faith become easier, not harder, as the Christian progresses and matures in the faith? And yet the Bible gives two of the strongest examples of prayer requests being refused. You know what they are. In the garden, Jesus pled three times for the Father to take the cup from him. Paul begged three times for God to cure the thorn, to take away the thorn in the flesh. Both requests from the very son and from the faithful servant that both were denied. Because God's grace was sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. In contrast to this, how many times do we, do we come across examples of God intervening in various ways with his servants, through his servants, to do stuff that, oh my goodness, wow. Um, as a child, I remember my Ukrainian grandmother who migrated with her family in the 1930s to, to live in a farm in Paraguay. She never got to see my face as she spent the second half of her life totally blind, totally blind. She wanted to see what I looked like so she would put her hand, you know, on my face. She is a story of survival. Uh, she survived the, the genocide when, in, in the Ukraine when about 8 million Ukrainians died under communist Russia. And she lost uh, at least two children that I know of, uh, children alive, but they died. Uh, the woman of... 
Despite all this, she was a woman of deep, deep faith and prayer. A memory I have of her um, are the times that even though she spoke a very broken Spanish because her original language is Ukrainian, she used to sing in Ukrainian but then she tried and sing in Spanish. So I remember this song she used to sing in, in Spanish. It's a children's song that went like this. And I'll sing it in Spanish and then I'll translate it for you. Okay? Tres veces oraba Daniel en el día. Tres veces oraba el profeta Elías. Daniel en el pozo un ángel veía. El profeta oraba y la lluvia caía. Right? I remember that, right? I remember that. This is what it, it's translated as. Three times a day, Daniel would pray. Three times a day, Elijah would pray. Daniel in the den, the angel was watching. The prophet prayed and it started raining. That was it. Because that, the prayer life, prayer was real in her life. She saw the example, she signed the example and she wanted to leave this legacy with her grandchild. Underlying all of this is the fact that it makes our faith real, the fact that we can connect with God through prayer. In the good times, we are thankful. In the bad times, we are prayerful because we need to keep our sanity when the world just falls apart, when it doesn't make any sense. Sure, we can bring in the doctrinal arguments of the whys and the wherefores and why did God do this and why did God do that. We keep questioning and the Psalms are full of the psalmists who, who did question. You read in Job all the different arguments and the back and forth of faith and, and when the world just, we don't understand what's going on. But underlying all the Bible has to say about prayer, let's just try and peel away all the different doctrinal arguments. And, and is the idea, is the truth that prayer is simply conversation with God? I can't put it any simpler than that. So you have to be a believer to be part of that family of God. Therefore, prayer is family talk, like a child talking to their father. It is friendly, it is intimate, it is frank, it is unrestricted talking with God. And it is in, in, in this close and intimate Relationship that every individual is brought by faith in and through Jesus Christ. So, yes, prayer is the simplest thing in the world, conversation with God our Father through Christ, but it can become 
the very deepest and most profound thing in the world that you will ever know. And you won't know that unless you get into it, get into praying. So let's look at this verse and unpack it a little bit so we can understand what, what is, you know, a deeper understanding so we can know the truth behind it. Praying in the Spirit. Talks here about praying in the Spirit, including this verse, the, the phrase praying in the Spirit is mentioned three times in Scripture. Sometimes it's, it's, it's good to define something by what it is not. Praying in the Spirit is not praying in the flesh. We need to put that out there. It, it does not refer to the words we are saying. To pray in the flesh has the inference to, to pray without power. So if prayer in the Spirit is the opposite of praying in the flesh without power, to pray in the Spirit is to pray with power. Others take this phrase in the Spirit as though it is describing the some ideal emotional state that you work yourself up to in order to be praying in the Spirit. That somehow we need to be greatly moved before prayer can be effective, that our prayers will be heard. Yes, this is possible at times, but it is not essential or necessary to for the effect for prayer to be effective just to see how we feel. And it's certainly not what is meant by the phrase in the spirit. So if praying in the spirit is not related to our emotions, what is it? Praying in the spirit is praying according to the spirit's leading. It is praying for those things that the spirit prompts us to pray for. How does it work? Well, you're driving along and there you are. You've parked your car on the M7. You know, the M5. You get frustrated and you say, well, what else are you going to do? Suddenly the Lord prompts, brings to your mind somebody from church, somebody your family, some colleague, some fellow student. It's a spirit's prompting. It's, it's, it's a call for you to, okay, let's pray about it. Pray for that person. Don't close your eyes, okay, because then you're going to hear a horn from behind you or wherever it is. Just bring it to God. Turn that concern, that worry to prayer. It's praying to the Spirit's leading. It, it's, it, it means pray according to the promises which God has given the Spirit has made known. More importantly, praying in the Spirit has to do with the position, position the, the, the attitude of your heart as you come before God. This is why John Bunyan, who wrote a Pilgrim's Progress, he, he once said, and I quote, When you pray, it is better to let your heart be without words than your words without heart. 
God does promise to answer prayer in a way that he has outlined for us. Even when we don't know or how or what to do or what to pray for in a certain situation, the Spirit is always there to help us. That is God's promise to us. This is not something that I made up. In Romans, this is what we read, Romans 8.26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. What more do you want? Even when you don't know what to pray for, the Spirit is there to help us. That's God's promise. And we see here that prevailing Christian prayer is not restricted or or limited to some situations or some things, is actually wonderfully comprehensive. In the passage before us, we have four universals indicated by the fourfold use of the word for all. You would have noticed that, and that's why I quoted the ESV rather than the NIV, which the ESV makes a little bit clearer. Most Christians pray sometimes with some prayers and with some perseverance for some of God's people. Here the Apostle replaces some with all. And in each of these expressions, this is why he's, that's the message that he's giving to us. So he introduces a new dimension of what it means to pray. So first of all, let's look at at all times, at all times. This obviously does not mean that we're always saying prayers. We are not heard because we speak a lot or say many words. Jesus had had something to say about this. Um, In Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, he said, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they... They think they will be heard because of their many words. At the same time, we are called to pray without ceasing, which means that we have to be always in communion with the Lord. To the Thessalonians, Paul wrote the the equally shortest verse in the Scriptures. Can you name another short verse in the Scriptures? Okay, here's another one. Pray continually. It's not hard to remember this one. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray continually. It means that we don't hang up our call with the Lord when we say Amen. It's like on your phone. Remember the old dial phones that we used to have? We don't slam it when your phone, when you're on your smartphone, where you don't press the red button, it's always on. And and we don't hang up the phone when we say amen, we we keep the conversation going. And it means we shouldn't say, it's not, I know, we do say it, but it's not strictly right to say, Lord, we come into your presence. Where were you before? 
I didn't want you to know about that. Always in. No, we're always in his presence. The child of God lives their life before God because he never leaves the presence of the Lord in the first place. We must pray always because we are and our family and brothers and sisters always are subject to temptations and attacks of the devil. We must pray because Jesus told us to pray and pray always, pray continually, pray without ceasing. Secondly, the Apostle says, with all prayer and supplication. So here there are two categories of prayer or better, there's a general one and a more specific one when it comes to prayer. All prayer is is the the widest general classification because it includes absolutely everything while supplication is the more specific prayer requests that are made in prayer. So in our conversation with God it is perfectly proper to, to ask because we are his children, he is our father. Remember what James says? James says you do not, you do not have because... You do not ask God. What the apostle is saying is after he has put on the armour of God, after he has thought through the implications of your faith in the ways which we have looked at in the previous week, then with all of that, talk to God about it. Talk to God about it. Tell him the whole thing. And Jesus told us that our Father knows the needs that we have even before we bring them up before him. He knows them. He's waiting for us to come to him. And the context of supplication in the original Greek language text always seems to mean prayer for others. It's more specific. You're praying for others. So in supplication, we don't pray for ourselves, but we are lifting others through prayer. It's about begging God, beseeching God in the spirit for other people that we are concerned about. To young Timothy, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1.3, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Wow. He meant this. Right? Praying for his protege, you know, his trainee, his disciple. That's the real sense of supplication. Coming before God incessantly, persistently, continually supplicating, begging, beseeching God for other people. Thirdly, with all perseverance. There's that word all again, all perseverance. Just as with many other areas of our spiritual life, most important of all is that God wants us to persist in prayer, to keep going. 
It's that no matter what happens, I'm not going to quit state of mind. And, and, and Jesus really hammered this aspect of prayer to his disciples because he, he wanted them to see how vitally important it was. This is what we, our first reading this morning was from Luke chapter 18. In, and in verse 1, this is what it says. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they what? That they should always pray and not give up. So, always and then not give up. That's the perseverance. And in verse 3, we read that a widow kept coming. This is the parable that Jesus told. The widow kept coming. And the story has these, these two characters, right? There's the widow and the judge. The judge wasn't a good judge. He was heartless. He didn't fear God nor man. He could not care less. And here was a poor widow who came to the judge seeking justice. She had no clout. She had no powerful lawyer. And she had no money to to grease the wheels of justice. You know what I'm saying. She seemed completely helpless against another person, the adversary. We don't know who the adversary was. And, and, and she could not count on a, on, a, on a fair ruling from this unjust judge. She said, what am I going to do? All she could do was kept coming. Persistence. Keep at it. And because of this, she eventually got what she wanted. The point of the story it's not that God is evil. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He's saying that if even this evil judge, this evil judge listened to this poor widow, how much more, how much more would, would your wonderful, righteous, loving Heavenly Father do for his children? Luke 18, verse 7. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will, will he keep putting them off? The answer is no. There's a story from Africa. One of the special characteristics of the early African converts to, to Christianity was the fact that they were very earnest, very committed to their regular private devotional life. Um, there's a story that the, each one, for example, when a, when a village came, came to Christ, different people within the, the village, they all had their own separate spot in the bush, in the thicket, where they would go and pray to God, their own special private place. And over time, the paths to these places became well-worn because they would go there all the time. And as a result, if one of these believers began to neglect their prayer life, it was soon apparent to the others. 
and that would kindly remind the negligent one, brother, the grass is growing on your path. When it comes to the path in our own prayer life, can I ask you, is it well worn or has the grass started covering it? And only you could know that. It's between you and God. But isn't it important to encourage one another in this particular aspect and to be able to be accountable to one another and says, well, how is that prayer life? How's it going? Is, is, you know? Lastly, the Apostle says, praying for all the saints. For all the saints. Paul meant what he said when he told us to do this because this is what he practiced in his own life. We just saw how he prayed for for Timothy. Irrespective of whether the Apostle, it was a church that the Apostle had founded, whether he knew the people he was praying for personally or not, he would pray for all the saints. In his letter to the Romans, he wrote this in Romans, and and Paul had never been to Rome at that stage. He'd never been there. But this is what he wrote in Romans chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. Is my will, my serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. He didn't even know them. He knew some of them because of his troubles or whatever, but the majority of the church didn't know. And he yet continually prayed for them. To the church at Thessalonica, he said, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And in the earlier part of Ephesians that we looked at already, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You get the picture, right? Finally, let me just say this. Well, are we just supposed to be praying for the saints, for the believers, for the children of God? No, we are also called to pray for all people, whether they are believers or not whether they are hot or cold Christians, whether they are friends or whether they are enemies. Pray that they might come to the knowledge of our Saviour. And this is what the Apostle Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 4. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving, there's your different categories of prayer, be made for all people, all people, for kings and all those in authority, that they may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants 
What does he want? He wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. While he was very ill and uh, coming to the end of his life, the, the Scottish reformer John Knox, he was the, the founder of the Presbyterian Church in Scotland, He called his wife and said this, and I quote, he said, read me that scripture where I first cast my anchor. And after he he listened to the beautiful prayer of Jesus recorded in John 17, he seemed to forget his weakness. He began to pray, interceding for his fellow men. He prayed for the ungodly who had thus far rejected the gospel. He pleaded on behalf of people who had been recently converted. And he requested protection for the Lord's servants, many of whom were facing persecution. As Knox prayed, his spirit went home to be with the Lord. This is the man of whom Mary, uh, Queen of Scots, had said, this is the Queen, the Scottish Queen, who had said, I fear his prayers more than I do the armies of my enemies. And he ministered through prayer until the moment of his death. Just recently, my my mother tells the story of walking into my father's room and in his last days even though his, his words seemed to be, his speech became sometimes unintelligible to, to us his children, mum understood what he was saying and he says I walked in there and, and dad, your dad was praying for all his children, for his grandchildren praying for the church and he's praying for his grandchildren because some of them are not believers it's a great example isn't it it's a a tool that is available to us it's right there at our disposal In one sense, I suppose prayer is is like sharing the gospel with people. And when we share the gospel, you don't know who will respond to the message, who will accept it, who will reject it, but you spread the seed. It is the same with prayer. And we will never see the results of of answered prayer until we pray. How will you know that God answered a prayer if you haven't prayed, right? But pray. And things start, will start to happen. And then when, when you see God answering, you will say, yes, thank you, Lord. But if you don't pray, what happens? Well, how will you know? Well, I don't know. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? No. This is how you can be involved. And people can't stop you praying for them, surely. Despite what happens in the future, 
despite what happens with the laws, whatever, we have the great example of Daniel. doesn't matter how many laws are going to pass. I'm going to keep praying. And this is what we are called to do. Do we know of anything more valuable to a Christian than prayer? The wonderful tool, communication that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen.